Let me point out, and I want to make this particularly clear. She made her first attempt at Coca Bun. Coca I can't say it. Thank you. She went to the beach. It's the Clear as Mud podcast, where we look at the funny and not so funny sides of bad communication. Join us as we ask why is it so hard to get your message across? Take it away, Lawrence and Ray. Welcome to episode seven of the Clear as Mud podcast. Hey, Lawrence. We were surfing through Netflix the other night and stumbled across something different. It's called Bullshit, the game show. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I actually watched an episode, actually, Ray. Yeah, well, uh, for those of you who haven't heard of it, it's a trivia show that has a clear-as-mud twist. The contestants try and answer multiple-choice questions. Most of them are quite hard, actually. And if they pick the wrong answer, they have to make up a lie and try to convince the other contestants that their answer is correct. If they can convince one of the other three, then they advance to the next question, even though their answer was wrong. Now, we watched a couple of episodes, and I'm embarrassed to admit uh, it was kind of addictive. Interestingly, there was one woman who managed to win, I think it was $100,000, and she only got one question correct out of six, but managed to convince at least one other person each time that she was telling the truth. Now, it was really interesting to watch, but I've got to say I have a big problem with the concept of this show. Now, I think it's another example of the decline of Western civilization because we're rewarding people not because they have knowledge, but because they can spin a web of bullshit and deceive people. It's kind of like politics, actually. Uh, what What do you think of that, Lawrence? Yeah, I think you're right. Now that uh, we're having the Australian election, you know, just around the corner, and we had previously um, a guest that talks about lies and you know bullshit in politics. So yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting that you view it that way. But the the, the the good part about the show is that there is another game being played with the audience and the audience is trying to determine whether that person is actually bullshitting as well. So it is as if there are two games happening simultaneously. So I found that interesting. Yeah, it is clever, but it just makes me kind of sad because this is the sort of stuff now, you know, that we're watching and we're rewarding people for lying rather than having knowledge. Yeah. Another example of clear as mud. Speaking of which, let's get stuck into this week's edition of the good, the bad, and the hilarious. Now, I've got a good example this week. Actually, this one was a toss-up between good and hilarious. My favorite politician, Donald Trump, was at a rally the other day, and he said, and I quote, I think I'm the most honest human being, perhaps, that God ever created. He actually said that. That's actually what he said. This is a classic example of newspeak, you know, that term coined by George Orwell in his novel 1984, which we spoke about back in our first episode where we uh, interviewed Mark Satter. And so newspeak is where you say the exact opposite of the truth, such as war is peace. As usual, the Donald is messing with our minds, saying something that is so patently untrue that we won't recognize the truth when it finally does appear. Now, I used to think mm. that Trump believed his own lies, but these days... I think there can't be any way that even he would believe such a ridiculous statement. In fact, when he said this at this rally, the crowd of MAGA hat-wearing supporters in North Carolina, they laughed at him. Not with him, they laughed at him. So they know that what he was saying was bullshit, clear as mud, whatever. 
it's really interesting as to what his strategy is for saying things like that. Is he just trying to mess with our mind? I don't know. Lawrence, do you think maybe we should change our podcast logo to include a picture of Trump because he's the poster boy for Clear as Mud's speech? Yeah, I think... <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm not sure you'll go down well with, with the audience, but mm. yeah, he's he's a kind of weird character, isn't he? That he seems to living in the world of his own. And yet what's interesting is that we get sucked up with it as well. And the scariest thing is that millions of people vote for him. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> so have you got a, a bad example for us this week? Ray, I've got a bad example. Now, have you heard of this UK burger company called Oatly? So, you know, Mother's Day sort of rolls around every year around March or May, depending on, you know, which country you're from. And now Mother's Day is, is, is a big day, I guess, you know, where people celebrate their mothers and they go out for dinner or lunch and so forth. So it's, it's, a, it's a big day. It's, now, but what happened with this particular company? Yeah, they sent out an email uh, campaign and the headline reads, with burgers this good, you will leave your kids at home. What's the worst that could happen? No. So it's nothing wrong with that, except it shows the picture of a mother and a child. And the child's name is Madeleine McCain, uh, who has gone missing since uh, 2007 in Portugal. And so this family, this British family, they went to Portugal for a holiday you know, many years ago, and then somehow the kid got lost. So it's 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 a long-running case, and they stuck the picture of the mother and the child in this campaign. And then it's really bad. It was an uproar, you know, and the ad got taken down very quickly. I guess, I guess my point is that, you know, of all the days, well, first of all, I think it's, it's not right, you know, to do that. But, you know, to put it out on Mother's Day as well... <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a real shocker, you know, to say it's so good, you know, you can you can go out for your burger and don't worry about kids, leave them at home and so forth. So it's it's really bad. I mean, the the, the company sort of pull it down fairly quickly and so forth, but it's it's crazy. It sort of reminds me of another one. This is an American one um, by, about Kate Spade. Now, Kate Spade is an iconic fashion designer of bags and accessories and so forth. Now, he she committed suicide in 2018 by hanging herself. Right. And in May this year, just this company called Outer Beauty and came out with a perfume. And, and again, it was an email campaign. And he had the headline, Come Hang with Kate Spade. So that's the headline. He says, Come Hang with Kate Spade. Now, Ray, tell me if I'm wrong, but I always thought that it should be like, you know, hang out with somebody. That's an American slang, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's probably something more that young people today say, you know, hey, do you want to hang? Right. You know, which means the same as hang out. But uh, I think they were playing on that phrase for this. But yeah, that is just in enormously bad taste. Both of these are just incredibly uh, insensitive. Correct. In, in this case, for example, the whole of the whole of May is in fact a mental health month in the U.S. as well. Mm. So I guess it's, it might be a deliberate strategy for this both of these companies play on you know the topicality, I guess, of um, you know the Mother's Day and the and health mental health month of the year of the of the of the month in the U.S. and you know, for this to come out. But it's it's bad taste, I guess. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think. This comes under the category of men behaving badly. I mean, I've read a lot of stories over the years about the overrepresentation of males and the underrepresentation of people over 30 in the, the uh, advertising industry. Now, this to me is clearly, well, both of these are clearly examples of what happens when you get too many immature young men together brainstorming something. It kind of reminds me of the politically incorrect things said at fraternity parties that I attended back in the age of the dinosaurs, last century. Now, it's hard to believe that this sort of tasteless humor yes. still sees the light of day in 2022. But overall, Lawrence, you're right. This is just bad. 
And now you got a funny one. Yeah. So for for this week's hilarious example, I want to talk about Elon Musk buying Twitter. Now, more specifically, I want to talk about the way that the internet has reacted to the news of uh, of the purchase. Now, Musk is a polarizing figure whose views are a bit hard to pin down. Calls himself a libertarian, but some of the things he says are way over at the other end of the spectrum. Anyway, a few of the memes that have been published about him regarding his $44 million purchase of a major social media platform have expressed the, this clear-as-mud nature of this billionaire. Uh, one tweet said, Huge congratulations to Elon Musk for inventing and engineering Twitter exactly the same way he invented and engineered Tesla Motors. Now, informed listeners may recall that Musk was an investor in Tesla before taking it over, but he didn't found the company. But the point is that that's what everybody thinks. Everybody thinks that he founded the company, that he was the inventor of Tesla. There was another one along the same lines. Tweet said, Elon Musk, I will sell you one actually funny joke for $1 billion. You can pretend that you wrote it. Now, I think what they're getting at here is that soon what will happen is that people will be saying that Elon Musk created Twitter. In fact, I think there's already, you know, a few people who've said similar things. Now, Musk himself has gotten in on the act and he tweeted not long after the uh, he announced the purchase. He said, next, I'm going to buy Coca-Cola and I'm going to put the cocaine back in. Now, that, quite frankly, could be less dangerous than <laughs> owning Twitter. <laughs> so... Uh, Lawrence, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's 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 hilarious. But what's even perhaps less hilarious, I guess, did you hear that uh, he is now allowing Donald Trump to come back on the Twitter platform should he be successful in buying Twitter? Uh, not Donald Trump again. Oh, yes, uh, I could just imagine. Yeah, and this is the thing about, yeah, he's such a, you know, a lot of people on the left love Elon Musk, and then he goes and does something like this, saying, oh, let's get Donald Trump back on it. I I don't know. I can't figure him out. I can't figure out why so many people think that the sun shines out of Elon Musk's uh, backside, but mm, that's the yeah. way it is. <laughs> As always, please send through your own suggestions to the good, the bad, and the hilarious at clear-as-mud.org. Jim Morris is an experienced advertising copywriter based in Chicago, who's worked for big and small agencies, and is the author of several books about advertising. Now, Jim, your website says, and I quote, millions of words on thousands of projects for hundreds of clients, garnering scores of awards, authoring dozens of successful taglines over three decades, and really just getting started. So that sounds like you've done a lot. Now, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up uh, in the advertising business? Okay. That sounds like a good place to start. Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, kind of reflecting on how far back uh, my desire to to do something like advertising goes. And I actually remembered something that I had forgotten previously, which is that um, the very first headline that I wrote was when I was in eighth grade, and I was friends with a guy who was running for president of city council, of uh, the school council, and I was running his campaign. And we had we had, we had one uh, poster that we were allowed to have, or at least that we did have, ah. and, and I wrote it, and I was really proud of it. Said the guy's the guy's name was Mark, and so I so I said in this poster, a mark for Mark is a mark. What is a mark? Now that's like borrowing 1940s gangster in, in New Jersey talk. What is a? It's a mark. What is a mark? It's not just any old mark. It's a mark. It is a mark. So I knew what I meant. No one else could make any sense out of it. <laughs> and, and he didn't win the election. And 
that was the end of that. But that was, that was my first foray into, <laughs> into the, and you know, and also my maybe an early foray into confusion, which clearly I was. <laughs> and so, <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, and I guess so. Really, in high school was when I first started thinking about advertising as a possible some something to do in the future. Uh, I my dream in high school was to become a rock and roll star. My backup was to run an ad agency because uh-huh. that sounded very romantic back then to a to a high school kid. And I knew I um, had some ability with with language, but I wasn't really terribly aware of it. So yes, yeah, so my father was the managing editor of uh, Advertising Age, a, a trade publication, the trade publication during the 60s anyway. And he uh, was the, the editor there for, or manage, assistant managing editor and then managing editor for about 17 years. And so all, during all that time, every week he would bring home a fresh new copy of the latest issue and just leave it on the table. And, and I would look through it uh, hoping to see something interesting, and and advertising age was all about the advertising business. So it was not, it wasn't the romance, the making commercials, and the fun, and the the stuff you saw in movies and TV. It was all the heart, you know, nuts and bolts, horrible mergers, and you know, backstabbing and all, but but pretty dry. Ah. Uh, so I I I probably absorbed something from that, but I, not that I you know nothing other than I. I was interested in advertising. So when I'd be watching TV or reading a magazine, I'd be paying attention to the to the advertising of what was working, what wasn't, what was clever. And, and it was in a time, you know, there were some great, great uh, people working, especially my hero at the time, uh, Stan Freeberg, who was a mostly radio guy, but also did some TV and some print. And he was a maverick to the nth degree, and so he he influenced me a lot. His his way of thinking about, he said that uh, he he tried he liked to do advertising that that contained uh, more honesty than the client had in mind. There's a credo for you. That's that's something to. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. Put that up on the wall. Mm. And then. Um, Shortly after high school, I was in a, a rock band. I was trying to become a rock and roll star. And we we had to name the band and then uh, do a, an ad once in a while. And I would I would do those. And I found that I had as much fun doing that as I did with most other aspects of being in the band and stuff. So that but then I spent the next the, the decade of my 20s trying to be this rock and roll star. We we had some limited success with one band and in the uh, Chicago and the Midwest scene and stuff like that. So mm, so yeah. we had a lot of fun and it was very rewarding and stuff. But over time, I started realizing that the more success we were having in the music industry, the uglier the industry got. You know, where, where I thought that, that the bar uh, owners and booking agents would be the low rung you know, the unscrupulous scumbags, and that as you got up into the classier things like record labels and A&R men and uh. all that, you'd get people with a little more, with more scruples, you know. And it was the opposite of that, at least in our experience. So <laughs> at some point, I just became, I couldn't stand it any longer. It's such a personal business to be in the music business, where it's your your creations that are being butchered by by the industry, you know, and every time you get a rejection, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. So I quit. And it was at that point, I was about 30, that I decided I kind of got a book called um, How to Put Your Book Together and Get an, Get a Job in Advertising. So it was a book that was exactly specifically written for me. Mm. <laughs> so I got that book and I did exactly what the book said about how to how to think about how to put together a portfolio for yourself, because if you, that's why you get a job is with your portfolio. So I did that, and that got me in front of a recruiting person in the in the industry, who then tore my book apart and we rebuilt it and so forth. Ah. And then I got a job in in advertising. So I got my first job as as a copywriter, and uh, all the stuff that I claim to have done on my website, <laughs> all happened after that. A lot of that is sort of summed up in. Uh in your book, which you recently published called Badvertising. And I heard about your book uh, when you were interviewed on the Marketing Book Podcast. 
I see there a nice little shout out to somebody else's podcast. But when I was listening to that interview, I thought to myself, uh, well, bad ads, what a great fit um, for our uh, podcast, it, it, which at that point was, uh, we were going to call it the bad marketing <laughs> podcast, but we've broadened the scope out a bit. And, and so it's called Clear as Mud. But I thought, what a great fit for the podcast. <clears throat> now, there are so many angles that we could pursue. Yeah. But uh, in this interview, I wanted to focus on the sorts of things that ad agencies and, and advertising creatives and copywriters and whatnot, the things they do with their work that send an unclear message to consumers. So in your experience, in what different ways does advertising messaging often just miss the mark? It's, it's really interesting, the relationship between confusion in advertising and success success in advertising. There, there, it's, a, it's more complicated. It's not like, well, that message was confusing, so that, that ad failed. That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes advertise, advertising does fail because it's confusing, uh, not on purpose, for instance. You know, if people didn't mean for it to be confusing, but it came out that way. Ah. And that can happen, unintentional, confusing ad that happens every now and then. You know, I was reading a, I think it's in my book, there was a study of, you know, how many, how do people find ads confusing? And I could, I can run you the numbers, but there's like a ton of, I mean, it's a, it's a very common phenomenon, but they don't really dig down deeper into the why of, of that. And, and that's, to me, what I started thinking about is kind of interesting, is that for, for, for unintentional confusing advertising, the cause can start with the client themselves who are doing the advertiser, because they may um, have a, a distorted or myopic view of their own business or what they what message they need to send out to be successful or whatever, which may not jive with the agency's feeling about the same thing. So confusion can can seep in even at the very beginning of a relationship or an assignment uh, to do an ad if the if the client presents it wrong, you know. <laughs> presents it in an unrealistic way. So it can start with that. Then most of the time, it's the ad agency's fault if something is unintentionally confusing. And that can happen for, for all, all sorts of reasons. It can, have, it can have to do with having research that is not helpful or is mis, misleading in some way, research about the target market. So if you, if you learn, if you think you know something about the target market, that this, you know, such and such message will affect them, then you go with that message. But that research may be wrong. And it might not be, you may not be pushing a button that this particular target market cares about. And that can get confusing just in and of itself. So time is a, a big reason why unintentional confusion sets in because I'm, I'm Speaking of TV commercials, for the most part here, but you know, you asked asked me earlier something about uh, digital uh, marketing, and we, we can talk a little bit about that. But just in terms of of uh, TV commercials, where they they're supposed to be, you know, twenty nine point nine seconds long, or sixty seconds long, or whatever, but they have a they have an absolute constraint on how long. It, so if the agency at some point developed a message that this commercial is supposed to deliver. And that message requires telling a story that takes 34 seconds, and you've only got 30 seconds. Well, now you're gonna you're gonna have confusion, <laughs> for sure, because you're missing 10 seconds of the story that that probably is critical to mm -hmm. to getting the story. That kind of thing happens all the time. Although it can even be one or two seconds uh, short of you know the story is just a little bit too long. But it requires the copywriter, the art director, the editor, whoever it is that's working on the spot, it requires them to get rid of something, to eliminate part of what they originally had designed as the spot. And that lends to all kinds of, uh, of confusion because that, that kind of what I call the huh factor where you know, uh. you're watching a commercial and it comes to the end and you go, what? <laughs> what just happened? What? Talk because you yeah I, I I seem to find this increasingly if I if I'm sitting there watching television with my wife and an ad will come on and it'll finish and we will just kind of look at each other and like 
knows that? Exactly. That happens, and it happens a lot. And a lot of times, it's the client or the agency's fault. They did a bad job. But a lot of times, I think, and this is just my opinion here, I have nothing to base this on, especially in this digital age where half the time, half the population is watching TV. They're also looking at their laptop or they're looking at their at their smartphone and kind of half watching. Or even without that, sometimes you're just in a zombie-like state when you're watching TV at the end of the day, in which case you might miss the first five seconds of the, of the commercial. May, it may just not register with you. And it may be that the message of the commercial depends on you actually uh, paying attention and processing the entire thing. And if, if you miss something at the beginning, now you could be lost. So uh, a lot of times that, that kind of thing happens. It's on viewer, not so much the agency sometimes, that there's confusion. Because people, and people mm. in general, have been trained, have trained themselves over the decades to not pay too much attention to advertising, right? If you don't, if you don't just altogether skip every ad, you you might mute them or fast forward them or whatever. In which case, you're obviously not going to process that kind of stuff. You know? So that, so again, uh, conf- confusion needs to be spread around among all kinds of people and, and all kinds of causes. That's kind of one part of the answer. The other part, the part that to me is more interesting, is that. Um, there is an intentionality to a lot of the confusion that is put into advertising because you want a person to be curious about whatever that message is that you're delivering, then you need to present it to them in a way that makes them curious. And sometimes that means you set up a problem, you don't see the result, you are promised the result if you look into this product, you know, that kind of thing. So you, you don't story, but you don't get it on purpose because they want to motivate you to check out, check the product out. So there's a ton of that that goes on. Now, in my specialty for the last couple of decades has been uh, writing uh, taglines or slogans or wh- whatever you want to call them. I call them taglines. Most people in the business call them taglines. You know, just do it, that whole thing. Uh, so I, I, I write a lot of those, and it's become clear to me that the conventional wisdom about taglines is that they need to be brief and clear. Uh, that's that's kind of the uh-huh. any list of the of ten things to do to write a good tagline is going to have at least those two things on it: brief and clear. Now the brief part is just ridiculous because uh, there are just any number of very long taglines that are that are among the greatest taglines of all time you know when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight fedex you know there's for example i mean then i can yep. give you a bunch of more examples hmm. uh so that so there's that there's that part the brief part but to me i don't think clarity is all that it's cracked up to be because clarity often comes accompanied by boredom <laughs> you know some the message is pretty clear it's it's not it's not necessarily very interesting because it's not being presented in an entertaining way. So it doesn't it doesn't intrigue you, it doesn't engage you. Whereas, especially with taglines, you know, I, I have some examples here here of the, I have some examples of good good and bad ones if you want. I, all right, let me let me just see where we are. One one tagline that's been driving me nuts lately, and I'm not sure this really has to do with confusion, but I guess that you could broadly stick it in there. Bayer. The, the drug company has a, has a tagline now. This is why we science. So now they've turned science into a verb, like everybody <laughs> does these days with everything. Nouns become verbs. Verbs become nouns. All in the in the attempt to to catch your interest. You know, it's like it it's supposed to bump ah. with you. It's supposed to you're supposed to go science. <laughs> this is why we science. What does that mean? You know, so. There is confusion there, but it's confusion that's serving a purpose. Now, what purpose they think it's serving may not be the purpose it's actually serving, because if you get a tagline like that, that it irritates you, well, that's that's not likable. That's irritating, and now you've done yourself a disservice, your brand or whatever. So that's not so good. Sandals, resorts, their, their line is uh, where exclusive is always inclusive. Oh. And for the life of me, I don't think so. 
I don't. I just don't think you can have it that way. And I think probably they meant that on purpose. It's a little confounding. And you, if you think about it a little bit, you work on. Oh, I see what they're saying. I'm going to get the, the treatment, the inclusive. I mean, the exclusive treatment. But I'm, I'm just like any other Joe. And so, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's cool. But, but I mean, they really went a long ways to irritate irritate me anyway, <laughs> with that particular tagline. It was a little bit confusing and you have to think about it again sometimes that's good sometimes it's bad and then uh, i'll give you one, one more patagonia their tagline is we're in business to save the planet and again this it's might be using the term too broadly to say this is confusing but i'm pretty sure that they're in business to make money or at a minimum they're in business to stay in business <laughs> uh, if they were in business to save the planet it would be a they'd be a not-for-profit and blah, blah, blah. So that seems yeah. uh, maybe not confusing, but something disingenuous about that. Those are great examples. So why do you think they do that? Why do you think they're, they're not clearer than they could be? It's a really good question. In an age when there are punctuation mistakes in printed taglines and headlines and stuff like that, where, where the, in other words, there's no proofreader in sight. That's one reason. The proofreader really provided a valuable service in, in being a kind of a reality check. So that in a case like some of these things, they go, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. Is that what you meant is to not make any sense? They would ask the question. Now there's really no one more to ask the question unless there's a really on-the-ball account services person or a or a creative director who's paying attention or something, which it might not happen. But other than that, uh, people play fast. The creatives in advertising play fast and loose with language all the time and on purpose. And sometimes it serves their purpose and sometimes it's counter to their purpose uh, because they're so immersed in it that they're not even realizing what the real world is going to, how they're going to react. You know, they're so caught up in the advertising world that they... They're just trying to be clever to entertain their peers. There's a lot of that kind of thing. And you get confusion from that because then the people writing the commercial, they know something you don't know as a viewer, which has to do with some kind of inside knowledge about the business or the, the advertising mm-hmm. that goes on in it somehow. And so the, if, if a copywriter is being very indulgent, he'll come up with something like that, which is an inside joke. And can you know can only be confusing to the target audience. That's one reason is just just plain old uh, sloppiness, laziness. <laughs> okay. Now we'll let, flip that around. Do you have some examples of taglines that you think really nail it, and why? Yeah, I do. Um, as a matter of fact, and you know, I was about three or four years ago, my wife and I took a trip to Australia, and we were there for a month. Ah. And uh, I was pretending it was a business trip where I was doing research on Australian advertising, <laughs> so, I'd be able to, so that I could expense helps with the tax man. Yeah, right. yep. <laughs> <laughs> so as a result, I had to I had to pay some attention, and I do that in general. I you know I'm always watching on ads and stuff, and and I'm also always watching trucks on the road because they have a lot of taglines show up on on trucks, and it's it's interesting. Stuff that you may not ever see an ad for that company, but but you will. Anyway, so there were two uh, Australian ads that struck me as being really good. And I was kind of disappointed that I didn't see more than really two. Uh, there was an awful lot of uh, mundane. Yeah, right. <laughs> so just no say comments. It's, it's not that much different uh, in Australia than it is in the United States. So, but, uh, so one is uh, for a brand of nuts called Nobby's, Nobby's Nuts, and their kind of headline and tagline all wrapped up into one is Nibble Nobby's Nuts. <laughs> For some reason, that struck me as being really, <laughs> really, it really does. Really, it's so good. It's so... Says it again, all, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> this, this notion of likability, which is largely disregarded in the United States, it is not so disregarded in England, and I think to some extent in Australia, is the likability of the ad is the most important single factor. It's more important than being than delivering a clear message. Is that that you like the way in which it's delivered, 
because then that creates a kind of a halo effect around that brand, which is gets stuck in your head somewhere. And then when you're walking down the aisle at the grocery store, you might have a, a good feeling when you see that and you don't even know why and whatever. It's just, uh, it, it's likable. The, the research that I've read anyway indicates that that's the single most reliable indicator of success of an ad is if it's likable or not. So that was pretty interesting. So in that case, Nibble Nobby's Nuts is just likable off the charts. I, th- I thought anyway. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, there's a there's a brief confusion in the double entendre, but it doesn't doesn't last long. Everybody figures that out pretty quickly, so it, it's okay. Then another example I came across, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. It's for a bank called, uh, I think it's called Kudos Bank. And uh, their, their tagline was, uh, so unbank-like. And I thought, there's perhaps the first ad in the history of the world that is an honest ad for a bank that actually acknowledges that people, largely people don't like banks, mm-hmm. you know, speak nothing, you know, they, they, you, you're not going to believe the bank if it says they love you because they don't love you. They barely care about you <laughs> at all, you know, really, if you're just a just a regular person. So, so unbank-like was such a... A little bit like that film um, with Dudley Moore, what was that called, where... You know, he ends up in a psych ward, and they write ads that oh, are on us yes, or whatever. Yes, you know, it's yeah. it's a bit it's a bit right. like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More honesty than the client had in mind. It's, there's a perfect example, right? Ah, there we go. Yeah. There's that again. Yes. And for me, ever since I kind of figured that part out, that's been the way I've tried to go about creating ads. Is with that in mind, uh, it's really hard to do because most clients don't have any sense of humor and those that do don't have much of one or they have a different sense of humor or they're just terrified. So even though they have a sense of humor, they could, Oh yeah, that would be really funny. People would like that, but, and then they come up with some reason not to do it. And so anyway, not, not directly a a confusion thing, but, um, but here's another one. There's, uh, I don't know if this is, is exists in Australia or not, uh, TurboTax. It's a tax program for if you're, you want to do your own taxes. It's just a, it's by Intuit, I think. Okay. And right. um, okay. so for the last couple of years, they've run this campaign, which at first I thought was um, brilliant. And now I'm not so sure uh, where the only word that anyone says in the commercial until the very, very end of it is the word free. And they do it in contexts where it's like there's one commercial where there's a, uh, a dog show and one of the judges is going around pointing at the different dogs that are the number three, five, four, three, two, and one, you know, whatever. But in every case, she just goes, instead of saying something words-wise, she goes, free, 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 free. And and that's all she says the whole time is free. And then at the end, there's some line about, you know, uh, get your tax, do your own taxes for free. Okay, so there's TurboTax claiming to be free. <laughs> of course, that's not true for a large part of their audience. A large part of their audience, if you're a freelancer, you have to pay. If you're, I don't know what the other exceptions are, but... Uh, and if you want anything more than just the very most basic program, it's going to cost you and stuff like that. So it's actually extremely um, misleading or confusing to, ha- to hear that on the one end, and then you go to, mm. to get it, and it's going to cost you money, you know, a little bait and switch, and it's really not good. And that's that's a type of confusion that happens, I think, uh, quite a bit where people are misleading in their advertising about what the actual uh, benefit is they they kind of gloss it over and you get to find out the hard way when you go online to their website to to do to do business with them so that makes sense what you're saying <clears throat> what about your own career what's what's your favorite or most clear or whatever tagline from your own experience yeah most clear boy that's a tough one i don't i don't think about the clear ones much <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let me see. Um, 
this is kind of confusing, so maybe it's perfect because it's a confusing example. There was at one time, or there is, an organization called the National Convention on uh, Veterinary Economic Issues, or something like that. It, it's a it's a it's a website. Exciting. Oh my, yeah, very exciting. It's a, it's a website. Basically, if you if you're a veterinarian, you use this website as a tool to help you run your business. It helps you with accounting and billing and if you're doing marketing and it it has all these tools to help a small business that happens to be a veterinarian mm-hmm. do their do their work and stuff so so the tagline i wrote for that was where veterinarians go to do their business which if you are familiar with the expression <laughs> ah of course with the um what dogs, yes, what do, dogs animals do animals yeah yeah yeah, yeah right <laughs> Ah, okay. <laughs> Another double entendre. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and, and re- listen, there was this rare case. My client absolutely went nuts for it. No fear, no trepidation. It was uh, it was a miracle. You know, it's like the kind of moment you live for in your career is one where <laughs> something is kind of pretty good, and and the client actually recognizes it and then actually uses it. So so she did. So that was that was a a, a favorite of mine. Uh, in the, in the description, yeah, I would call that clear as mud. Actually, <laughs> I, I, I think that fits right in. It's very yeah. good. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, it, 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 to my point, it, that's not that clear. You have to actually work that one through. But it's it, once you do, if you do, it's likable. You know, so, so it it buys you mm. a lot of stock in that regard, especially in such a dry category as that. I mean doing doing business helping people do business as veterinarians you know that's not the you know the treating the animals that's the good part so in general what do you think that people who work in the industry what should they be doing in order to be clearer in their messaging okay well the kind of overarching theme of my book uh, applies here and it applies to the question of of uh, confusion and being being clearer Part of that is this industry just needs to get a whole lot more honest with itself in the stories that it that it tells in ads and the stories that it tells to its clients about ads. You know, and when it's trying to sell an ad campaign to a client, it, it get gets pretty fast and loose sometimes with skewed uh, research if they're using that to defend the idea or whatever. In one way or another. They want to put things in the in the po- most positive light they can. So here's an ad campaign we're trying to trying to sell you, and here's what it's going to do. And then they trot out this story about about how successful the ad's going to be, made, you know, made up out of thin air. They don't really have anything to base that on. Now that doesn't really necessarily lead to confusion, but a lot of other stories that are told within agencies. Agencies talking to themselves as they're processing advertising and so forth. There's just a whole lot of not being real, not uh, not owning up to um, the limitations. You know, the the fact is every every ad that ever goes out is a crapshoot. You know, it's a guess. It's it's trial and error. You you're going to guess that this message couched in this within this advertisement is going to be successful, whatever that means. And a lot of times success is never even defined. And so how would you you can't you can't lose because <laughs> you just make up whatever whatever the result is, you just call that a success. <laughs> and so that's a little dishonest. And to the extent that people get confused about what's true and what's not true, and and they're a little more uh, realistic and unassuming mm. and uh, forthright about what they know and don't know and what's going to happen and what they don't know what's going to happen. All of those things. Again, I, I don't know if it's right to call all that confusion, but if you're wondering what agencies can do to to be less confusing, one way would be to be more forthright and a little less exaggerated in their in everything that they tell uh, clients and and customers. You know, Tough to say uh, beyond that, how people can get more more clear unless they, for instance, brought back 
a proofreader. That would be a really important piece of the puzzle that they just decided the agency world in general. It's not to say there's never, nobody has any proofreaders before, but but when I was working at uh, DDB, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there was at least one, maybe two proofreaders on staff full time. And the reaction I would get from when I would send them something to, to proofread, the comments I got back from them were by far the most valuable comments of all because they were a little once removed and so forth. And if there was any confusion in the, in the copy, in the way that I was writing the copy, they, they would nail that in a way that my creative director might not. He might be too close to it, for instance, and not see the confusion. So having a proofreader would be really, really good. But it's these days, if anybody uses a proofreader, it seems like it's a freelance you know, gig for, for some part-time moonlighting thing for a school teacher, you know, basically. It's just not the same. So I think that invites a lot of confusion is just not having a video kind of watching carefully. Oh, I was going to say, the, the writer gets immersed in these assignments to, to come up with, create ads and stuff, and they get so familiar with, with the story, with the client, with the, the way the audience is being characterized as their target audience. They get so familiar with that that they start assuming things. They no longer, or they stop reminding themselves that they, that they don't actually know uh, these people, that they're just guessing, they're doing the best they can to put themselves in the in the shoes of the of the person who's doing the uh the purchasing and stuff like that but it it's it's all just a guess and and there's a if you get too familiar if you work on this account long enough you now internalize a lot of information or maybe information you know kind of what passes for information and that can lead to confusion too because now you're assuming things that your target audience must know that they don't know, for instance. That happens a lot. Following on from that, you know, thinking about the consumers, what do you think, you know, we as informed consumers should be doing to demand clear advertising? And now that's my original question, but after having uh, listened to you in this interview, that maybe that's not the right question. Maybe it's more, should we be demanding clear advertising? And maybe, because maybe we shouldn't. Because as you, you know, pointed out, a lot of times something not being quite clear, actually, it could still really be effective. Ah. But uh, what's your take <laughs> on that? Well, I, I would say let, let's assume it's unintentionally confusing advertising that the that the consumer is objecting to. It just leaves them puzzled and stuff like that. It, it, it's been true forever, and I don't know any other answer than this, which is if you just email, I mean, used to be write a letter, now it's just email. The company that did that ad, a well-run company, pays a lot of attention to the, to the feedback it gets, even in that way, from people. A lot of attention. They, you know, there's always, I don't know what the number is, but they, these big companies assume that if for every comment they get, there's 10,000 other people out there who have the same comment. They just didn't bother to email it. So they take it very seriously. That That's the only uh, the only way I know. You can't. It doesn't do any good to uh, try to contact the ad agency if you can figure out who they are because they, they can't pay attention to what you're saying. It's kind of, for various legal reasons I've never understood, they, they can't really concern themselves with that stuff. But the company itself... Uh, they're the ones who are going to feel the, the pain if the ad doesn't work because it's confusing. An interesting problem with this is that an unintentionally confusing ad, let's say it uh, it runs one night and, and viewers take the time to complain. You know, they get they get three or four emails saying, I couldn't understand what your what was that about? You know, what the heck? A good company will will often just pull the ad. If they're getting that kind of reaction, they'll just pull it. Now, because it wasn't on for long, people don't remember it. You know, so uh, that's one reason why I, I was trying to think of why can't I think of more failed ads who failed because of confusion and stuff like that. And I, that's that's one reason is they're not on the air. If it's not working, if it's causing a problem, they get they take it down right away because it's doing damage. So, and a, another part of that is psychologically, if an ad doesn't makes sense it's confusing to you 
how do you how do you remember it? Based on what? There's not a if there's not a coherence to it somehow that you can actually grab onto, you know. But it was a series of images and it ended somewhere, and you and you're going what? What is that? How do you remember? <laughs> Based on what? What is your brain? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, hadn't thought about it that way. Mm. Now, reflecting on what you've been saying, you know, during the interview, I, I, uh, and the importance of likability and all that, I get the impression that at the end of the day, humor is, you know, perhaps the most uh, important thing to introduce and to get right. What, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I couldn't agree more because again, if you if you buy that my contention that likability is is key, then not all likable ads are humorous ads, but far more humorous ads are likable ads than than other categories. You know, serious ad. So your chances of coming up with something that people like are just much better if you can wrap it in some sort of it's a dangerous word, uh, humor, because or funny. You know, you, you have to be really careful with most clients because they're they're afraid to be. They don't have a sense of humor themselves as a company, and so they're afraid of it. They don't necessarily even get it what the humor is. But so you have to. I've had to develop a a, a lexicon of words, euphemisms that I use instead. You know, whimsical, lighthearted, you know, things like that. It don't sound they sound positive, but they don't sound like you're because it, you know humor doesn't mean a, a knee slapping uh, yuck 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 it doesn't mean that at all it puts a smile on your face of some sort you know and it might be a warm mm, moment you know so yeah the the humor is humor is really critical there's hardly any category of advertising out there that wouldn't I don't think benefit from a campaign with a certain kind of humor now part of the challenge there is depending on your audience one person's funny ad is another person's offensive ad for instance sometimes so knowing your audience well enough to know what kind of humor they respond to that's tough that's a that's a really tough one that's where a lot of market research would be beneficial but i don't think it, i don't think much is done about it at least i'm not aware of it i mean especially in radio Radio commercials, I, I can't tell you the last time I heard a radio commercial that was serious and also could be considered a good mm -hmm. ad. You know, they're, they're just, uh, it, does, it doesn't work as a medium for seriousness. Okay, well, so make them laugh. I, th I think that's probably a good, uh, good place to finish this discussion because I'm all about using humor. Like it's a great idea. We might leave it there, Jim. Thank you very, very much for your uh, time. And as always, we will have links to relevant things, including uh, Jim's website and his where you can buy advertising. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, so, Jim, I'd just like to thank you very much uh, for your time and uh, best of luck in your work. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to Clear as Mud on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review as well as asking you to check out the show notes for this episode at clear-as-mud.org, where you'll find other examples of communication that is clear as mud. See you next time. This podcast is owned and created by Clear as Mud Productions. Continued listening to this podcast may result in uncontrollable laughter, eye-rolling, and expanded consciousness. Please see your doctor if pain persists.